Lord, as we open up your word in 1 Samuel chapter 17, ask God that you would speak to us, that your spirit would be here with us, that we would glean from it what you want us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. So, big chunk of Bible this morning, 50 some odd verses, and uh, let's just start. Verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Now we have a map of that area and that region. I was looking through all my kind of photo archives to find uh, my pictures of the Valley of Elah because when I went there on a pilgrimage uh, several years ago, uh, we we actually did like this reenactment of David and Goliath right there. And it was really cool because the the same stones that David probably picked up to kind of hurl at Goliath are probably the same stones that are there because it's not touched. It's not um, they haven't built cities there. They haven't. So it, it was just kind of exciting to see and to, to imagine like, oh, this is one side where they were at and this is the other side where the Philistines are at and this, this is cool. But I couldn't find any of those pictures. So we have a map. So you see Bethlehem there. If you can find Bethlehem, um, that's in the southern part of Israel. And Jerusalem isn't on this map, but, but it's, it's north of Bethlehem. And then it, to your left, will be the Mediterranean Sea, and you see Joppa and stuff like that. So what the area we're talking about, there should be a red arrow there. It's, um, it's about 12 miles west of Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the uh, hometown of David. And so 12 miles west is Soko, and that's where the Philistines gather, and the Israelites were, were in this valley, Valley of Elah, where, where they stood their ground against the Philistines. And so here we are, 12 miles west of Bethlehem. So we're given this scene of where this battle was to take place, and then we're given verses 4 through 10 where we're given this description of Goliath. And let's read on. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us." And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So we're given a lot of these details about Goliath. That Goliath is 9 feet 6 inches tall with 126 pounds of armor on him and a 15 pound iron tip on the head of his spear. And in reading this, we're we're given this depiction of, of this pretty intimidating warrior. And the author draws this picture of Goliath in our heads, and then, and then he gives us three verses of Goliath's speech in verses 8 through 10. So in verses 4 through 10, Goliath totally dominates the scene, right? 
He dominates the scene with his appearance, with his speech. And then you notice that he's given a lot of space in our text. Now in reading this, we can't help but look back to chapter 16, verse 7. Because chapter 16, verse 7 is is a key verse for the entire book of Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. We got, we got these new pew Bibles, so please use them. Because we, we, we got them for you. If you don't have your own. So, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And yes, that was specifically in reference to Eliab and people we look to as leaders, but... But isn't it applicable to a nine-foot-six-inch nine Philistine giant? And, and that verse applies to us as well when, when we mainly look at appearances or when, we, when we're intimidated by how someone looks or something like that. It, it, it has application to us. Verse 11, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And you notice all of them were afraid, including Saul. And that's interesting because Saul was one of the men that was actually fully armed. Chapter 13, verse 22. And, and he was known for his height and he was known for being physically well built, right? Chapter 10, verse 20, 23. And according to chapter 8, verse 20, the, the king was to go ahead and, and fight the battle, to lead in the battle. And that's why they wanted a king. That's why Israel wanted a king, just to be like the other nations. But here we find that Saul is fearful, he's fearful himself to face Goliath, and he, and he failed to go into battle. And it makes you wonder if, if Saul was really after God's heart, if he was really in the right place, he probably would have gone forth in battle because he probably would have had that faith to face Goliath. But because there's no one that is after God's heart in their leadership, they're not ready and, and they can't battle Goliath. But then there's David. And then David's introduced to us here in verse, verses 12 through 22. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to, to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, the three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistines came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. So after all this gloom from verses 1 through 11, there's now some light being shed on the scene that starts in verse 12. Verses 12 through 16, they give us some background about David. But then in verses 17 and 18, Jesse told David to take some food to his brothers and some cheese to the commander. And this is, this is why David ended up being there. 
His dad instructed him to do this errand. So David was this cheese and, and uh, bread delivery boy. This was before the combination of the two ingredients. So essentially, David was a pizza delivery boy. <laughs> no shame in that. There's no shame. They get good tips. Now, now keep in mind that that's how a king got started, as a pizza delivery boy. Right? So what, what, what's interesting is how pivotal this, this series of events are here. Right? The, the, the ordinary things that his dad, Jesse, told him to do. Really ordinary. Bring some pizza over to these guys. Bring some food to your older brothers and in the army. Some, bring some cheese to the commander. and Just ordinary things that he was instructed to do. But these ordinary things that he was instructed to do are, are what brought him to the scene. You don't see his other brothers. Only his three older brothers were there. The other brothers weren't. They were tending to stuff at home. But, but this is what brings him to the scene where none of his other brothers were except the three oldest. To, to hear of Goliath. To hear of this daily challenge that Goliath was bringing forth. And it seemed like a, just like a simple pizza delivery day. You're like, hey, bring pizza to, to my brothers. But it turned out to be a lot more. A lot more. And that's how... God often works, right? We, we, we can't know the great plans that God um, devotes into our very ordinary events, into our very ordinary lives, into our very ordinary jobs. And, and he seems to weave these opportunities that are going to kind of like blow up in front of you. It happens to us when, where we just kind of go about our business and, and we're not thinking much about what's happening around us, but, but you look back at this little episode in your life that you were just kind of doing your ordinary thing and you find that a lot of your life hinged on that moment, that, that time. Like how I met my wife. Right? It's just, just a moment in time. Or, or maybe how some of you met your spouse and that you were just kind of going about life, right? I was just going about life. I was just living my life. I wasn't delivering pizzas. I was doing something worse. I was serving at the church. And so, so I, I met Katie during a church service. Didn't really think much about it. Met her then, and we ended up getting married, and our third child's on the way, and we've been in ministry, and it's like that was just seven years ago. Seven years, that's it. In the span of time. But that one moment, how things just, boom, everything changed. And kind of like what's happening here in that David is just going about his ordinary duty. But God had some great plans in these very ordinary events that he was taking part in. Now let's continue on. Verse 23. As he talked with him, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, do you remember the first words that you ever spoke? You probably wouldn't, right? Unless somebody told you what your first words were. You probably don't remember. If you do, you're scary. <clears throat> Isabella, 
My eldest daughter, her first word, dog. My second word, Sienna, her first word, mama. So I'm hoping that my third, third child, the first word, dada. I, I just hope that I can make a bigger impression on my children than my dog. So... <laughs> So, so first words, the, the, these are milestones, right? First words, the, they're recorded. We recorded them. We recorded, oh, that's our first word. Awesome. See, we, we record those important things, right? We, we, we recorded our children's first words. Now, what were David's first words? You ever thought about that? In the entire Bible, where are his first words first recorded? Right? He was introduced to us last week in chapter 16. Right? And after being chosen from one of Jesse's sons, he's anointed as king by Samuel. But when does David speak? Ever thought about that? Where do we find his first words? See, it's right here in chapter 17, verse 26. These are his first words. Right? He hasn't spoken before this point. Now, that doesn't mean that David was mute and he didn't speak until this time. He was just kind of like dealing with shepherds and never talked. And he, he talked. But these are the first recorded words. And it's the first time that the author of Samuel writes to us what he said. Now, these, these are David's first words in the Bible. So you gotta, there's some importance here, I think. See, all of chapter 16, half of chapter 17, David says nothing or nothing's recorded. Isn't that interesting? And isn't it interesting that it says that God looks after the heart? And then the, here's David's first words coming up. And it's just like the story of the flood in Genesis chapter 6, 6 through 9. And, and next time you read it, look for when Noah has his first words. I mean, I don't think they're as profound as David's, but look for that. There are a lot of things said about God and Noah during those chapters, but Noah doesn't speak until chapter 9. Now the important thing is not what Noah said, but what Noah did. He was obedient in doing what God told him to do. So here we have David's first words. And so why is this significant? Well, it's significant because it's the first time that some theology is inserted into this situation. Before this, it's kind of godless. Right? If you start back in verse 1 and you go all the way through verse 15, you'll notice that no one ever mentions God. No one ever mentions the living God. It was brought in. David brought God into the situation. No one said anything about God. He injected God into the situation. And the question for us, do we go along our lives in, in such a godless way? I think we sometimes do. Just in our life, in, in our school, or in our work, or, or thinking through things, or doing things, planning things, worrying about things. We just kind of go about our life, but we don't do it with God. We do it without God often. Don't we? We just kind of sit back and think, oh, what am I going to do about this? Or what is she going to do about this? Or what are, what's my family? Or, or how are we going to deal with this? And we don't bring God into it. Do, I mean, do we live our life as though there isn't a living God? Like it seemed like these Israelites were doing before David interjected God into the situation? 
What difference does having a living God make in our lives if we don't live as though He is living and in our lives? So what difference can a living God make in your life? Well, you look back at verse 26 and you ask yourself, well, is David driven in fear? He's not like the rest of Israel, is he? He wasn't driven by fear. Rather, we find David angry. Now, isn't that interesting? He's pretty angry. And so sometimes we can be more godly by being angry. David said in verse 16, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine, this, this pagan, this guy who doesn't know our living God, that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, David was more angry than he was fearful. And David couldn't understand how this could be happening. How could this unbelieving Philistine be allowed to continue blaspheming God? How is that made even possible by us? How can we stand by this? Now take notice of a couple words in verse 26. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You notice the words reproach and defy? Now why are those important words? Those are important words because they tell us that this narrative is about dishonoring God. And, and how God is to be honored. It's about God's honor. It's about God's reputation. The biblical lesson here isn't about the Goliaths we face, which I've heard a lot in Sunday schools and growing up. It's not about that. And I can see how a lesson can be drawn from that, that we need to face our Goliaths, like Israel faced it and David faced them. But that's not the intent of the text. It's not about... David. It's not about you and me. The text is not about us. This is the Bible. And often people teach this as how we can slay our Goliaths, whether those Goliaths are our our self-image or our self-esteem or or some mental state that we're in. That that, that There might be some implications for that. I'm not saying that the lesson can't be drawn. That, that, yeah, there might be some implications there, but but don't get self-absorbed and put yourself in the center of this story. It's not about us. This is about God. And this biblical text is about the reputation and the honor of God. The reputation and honor of God is being degraded and scoffed at. And that's the perspective that needs to be kept here. To not be so self-absorbed when we open the Bible. It's me, 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 me. This 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 is about God. This book is about God. It's bigger than us. Verse 27, And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And this is just your typical big brother, little brother interaction where Eliab heard David talking to the men about what's going on and, Dave, and Eliab says, why have you come down? Give me my pizza. And, and with, with whom have you left with those, those few sheep in the wilderness? And you, you see how he's putting David down here by, by putting down his work? It's not even just that he's a shepherd, but you have few sheep. You don't have anything really to do. What are you doing here? 
Right? I know the presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. You're just here to, to look. You just want to see the blood and the gore and stuff. You're not even here to fight. Then in verse 29, David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? In other words, what did I do? Can I even talk? Right? And it's just a typical sibling interaction between two brothers. And this was probably typical of the sibling rivalry here. You know, what have I done now? It sounds like something that was said more than just one time. But oftentimes you don't have to go very far from those who are, are closest to you or, or those who confess knowing the same God to find contempt, to find this sort of ridicule. And oftentimes you can find disdain right in the family of God, right in the family of faith. Verse 30, And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for them. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. Saul makes a case as to why David shouldn't fight Goliath. Saul told David that you're, you're just a youth. Well, what can you do? This guy has been fighting since he was a youth. And the idea here is that, that he's lacking experience. And Saul was telling David that, that he wasn't a professional warrior. You're not a professional soldier. And you're not trained for this. But then David counters against Saul's case, uh, 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 against him fighting Goliath. Verse 34, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And, the Lord, and David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And just looking at the beginning of verse 34, you might wonder how keeping sheep can have any semblance of fighting in a battle. What in the world? How does that relate? You know? But David continues on through verse 37, and he makes this case as to how his experience as a shepherd will help him in battle. That Goliath is, is going to be just like one of those beasts that he's struck down before, and, and, and he has experience doing that. Now, now, how is this relevant to us? How does this apply to us? Well, it's important to recognize that, that faith, faith doesn't look down on, on the ordinary, routine experiences of life. That the things we find ourselves doing every day and wondering if they're of any importance in the world actually have relevance in our lives. And so you look at David, and you know, he was going... He was a shepherd just going about his ordinary day-to-day -day duties as a shepherd. And God used that. This bottom-of-the-rung job back in that time. And David came from a position of faith that, that God uses the ordinary. He uses the, the, the routine duties of our life. And we see that if there was God. God who delivered David from the lions and the tigers and bears. And 
Oh my. And if, if, you need, if you need some background on shepherding, just read Genesis chapter 30 and 31, where, where Jacob, Jacob talks about shepherding for Laban. And, and you'll find that shepherding was dangerous. That, that protecting sheep from hungry predators, that, that's something that should qualify for hazard pay. Right? David experienced this danger as a teen, and God used these life experiences of David to bring relevance into this current situation. David was, David was able to, to transfer his faith from his ordinary, routine, everyday experiences as a shepherd to what he was about to face on the battlefield now. And David knew it was, it was God who protected him out in those shepherd's fields. Where, where it was used as a practice field for, for David for this moment in battle against Goliath. And David acknowledged that it was God who delivered him in the shepherd's fields. And it will be God who's going to deliver him in this battlefield. And the Lord, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And each one of us, each one of us is going through this school of faith. See, God doesn't waste any of, uh, any of the previous experiences of our life. He doesn't waste those everyday routine kind of humdrum type of things that are going on in our life. And what we have gone through in our life is used for any future challenges that, that are going to come up. You don't know when you're going to face this Goliath or when this bigger-than-life thing is going to occur to you, but you're going to have these experiences that, you, that don't make any sense to you now. They're going to be helpful. And we will be able to see what God has done in our life before, right? And, and gain faith from that and, and learn from those past experiences and bring them forward into wherever we're at. Verse 38, Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Something to keep in mind here is David's supposed weakness when, when looking at his outer appearance. Right? As we've read, David didn't have the typical protective covering of a warrior. He didn't have that stuff. He was a shepherd. He was delivering pizzas. He, was, he didn't have that stuff. And Saul tried putting his own armor on David, which, which is really interesting. It tells us something about David. That David was similar in size to Saul. Like, you know, sometimes we draw these things like, oh, David's weak and with a little sling and big old Goliath. I don't think, he, I don't think David was like little, little weak little boy. David was man. Right? Otherwise, they, w- they would have pulled some other guy like, hey, come here, little guy with the armor. Put your armor on him. But no, he, he's getting Saul stuff. Now, what do we know about Saul? He was tall. He was physically well built. We don't, we don't hear of David saying like, this stuff's too big. Right? Or, or like, who turned the lamps out? I can't see out of this helmet. We don't hear any of that stuff. Right? What, does, what does David say in verse 39? He said, I cannot go on with these, for I have not tested them. So in other words, I'm not used to this stuff. I don't go around using this stuff. Right? It's foreign to him. He felt that he could do better without it. So David's a pretty good-sized guy. I mean, he's 
pretty similar to Saul to fit into his stuff. And, you know, the genetics were in the family too. You remember Eliab and the description of his eldest brother Eliab, tall, well-built guy. And if he could fit into Saul's armor, then, then David is pretty tall and he's a pretty well-built guy himself. But because he wasn't accustomed to the armor, he didn't use it and he didn't have the protection of a typical worry. He just kind of, I'm not used to this stuff. i got to go, you know, do it without it. So, so here we see how the outward appearance can seem weak. Because even though they're trying to make his outward appearance look stronger, he didn't want to do with it. But as we know from chapter 16, God looks at the heart. And here we can see David appearing weak on the outside without any battle experience. And, 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 and when you compare the, just the physical aspects between Goliath and David, like there's no way. And he appears weak. But, but as it is written in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, my power is made perfect in weakness. Let's move on with 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog? That you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Goliath picked up on David's weak appearance, weak outward appearance because of David's youth. And and he just didn't look at all like a warrior uh, worthy to battle against him. I'm battle tested. Are you sending me that guy? That guy's my opponent? Are you kidding me? So Goliath disdained him. David just is getting disdained all over the place here. I don't know if you noticed that. Where else did you see this type of attitude towards David? Did you pick up on that? From Eliab, his eldest brother? Very similar, isn't it? Goliath had this disdain towards David because Israel had the nerve to send someone who, who, who wasn't even a professional warrior. Right? Goliath is really upset about this, and it's, it's just like Eliab, or, or Goliath is upset, and it's just like Eliab, who, who back in verse 28, he had this contempt for his brother and said to him, Whom have you left the, those few sheep in the wilderness? Different words between Eliab and Goliath, but the same attitude towards David. And sometimes the attitudes and the words of a Goliath are the same as those closest to us and those who have the same God. And you don't have to be this outright enemy to have such a poor attitude towards one another. So, so Eliab has this disdain for his brother uh, David in verse 28 and, and thought that he was just a pain in the neck and like, what in the world are you doing here? And then we get to Saul in verse 33 who had disdain for David because he thought it was just silly that this shepherd boy who is inexperienced in battle wants to fight Goliath. And then we get to verse 42 that Goliath is just insulted that Israel would send someone who doesn't even look like a professional warrior to fight him. And you have all this disdain from Eliab and, and Saul and Goliath all towards David because of this outward appearance of weakness. But God looks at the heart. And do you notice at the end of verse 43 where it's written, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And that's interesting because that's one of Goliath's big mistakes. 
You look back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where God made a promise to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. I will bless those who will bless you, and I and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Right? So here we have Goliath cursing David by his gods, and Goliath found out that Genesis chapter 12, 3 is actually true. Right? God will curse those who curse, who dishonor. It's the same word in Hebrew, you. Verse 44, The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And now, notice how from verses 41 through 44, the author doesn't refer to Goliath by name, but he calls him the Philistine. The Philistine moved. The Philistine looked. The Philistine said. The Philistine cursed. The Philistine said. Now what's the author trying to do here? Well, well, in this repetition, uh, He's he's painting this picture that Goliath is the dominating figure. He's a dominating figure in this story. And the author is getting this across by repeating, the Philistine, the Philistine, the Philistine. Now let's move on to verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. Do you see how David addressed all these outer appearance, these weakness things in these verses? When people are looking at his outer weakness from Eliab, from Saul, from Goliath, do you see how he addresses all of this? He brings it all back to the Lord. He brings it all back to God. I come to you in the name of the Lord. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. The Lord saves, not with the sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. Verse 48, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Do you notice how this is so different from like battle scenes in movies? Especially those old kung fu movies? Do you, you, any of you guys remember kung fu theater? A lot of you might be too young for Kung Fu Theater. It was classic cinematography. All that stuff you see now, like the Matrix and all those kind of aerobatics and all the Kung Fu Theater. We did it. It's one of the greatest classic cinematography things of all time. But Kung Fu Theater was on Saturday. And it lasted for hours. It was awesome. I remember just after Kung Fu class, going to watch Kung Fu theater. And, but, the, but the final fight scene is like eight hours long. Right? A, a fight would start on the seashore, and then it would move through everything to an ice-capped mountain. And, and, the, and the, the rest of the movie, the beginning of the movie, is like four minutes. Uh, but, but the fight scene is like eight hours long, and it, and it was building, the four minutes was building up to this eight-hour fight scene. I don't know how they fought for so long, but it was so awesome. But here you see how, how brief this fight scene is. It's like nothing. It doesn't go on for eight hours. It's just so direct. So not Kung Fu theater. 
And instead, where do you see the author giving more space to, more time to, more kind of like effort to? The dialogue, which tells me that the author of Samuel was probably a woman. I mean, come on, really. Like, it, if, if this, if this could have been written to be a really cool fight scene. This could have been awesome. Right? Verses 48 and 49. That's it. That's the fight scene. Only 36 Hebrew words for an entire fight scene. Unbelievable. David's dialogue in verses 45 through 47, 63 Hebrew words. Almost double. Creating a plot. Who wants that? Get to the fight, right? It doesn't make for a good action movie. Well, there's clearly a difference in valuation between the Bible and cinema. What is the difference in the valuation? Well, where where, where does God come into this story? It's through David. It's through David in verses 26, 34 through 37, and 45 through 47. This is where theology is coming into play. Where, where God comes into play. And the attention is to, pay, to be paid to theology, not the fight. It's about God, right? And that's, that's why there's a tendency in the Bible to just be, to be brief with any of the battle scenes or any of the fights. It's like, they killed him. Move on. Let's talk about God. Right? The meat of the biblical texts are in the theology of the text, not these fight scenes. And it doesn't mean that the other details and the fights aren't important, but the really important thing within biblical texts often lies in the theology. And in this case, it's when David speaks. Verse 40, So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Now this is going back to this theme of weakness again. Because do you notice that in verse, what, what verse 50 is saving, saying? Look at his outward appearance. Look at David's outward appearance. David's with a sling and a stone. That's it. No armor, no spear, no like 15-pound iron spear head or, or a helmet or anything. Sling, stone. Struck the guy dead. Struck the battle-tested giant dead who was out on the outside, mighty, on the outside, appeared very strong, had all this stuff, and David didn't even have a sword in his hand. He had to go borrow the giant, and how rude of him that he didn't even ask. And it's showing, it's showing that this was just highly abnormal. This is not normal. When you look weak on the outside, it's not normal that you can beat the guy that doesn't look weak. He didn't have any of that stuff a warrior would have. And you granted that these slings and these stones, I mean, they're no joke. Right? I mean, these, these stones uh, used in these slings, they're like two to three inches long or in diameter. And, and, and these slings, if they were slung right, they, they can shoot out at 90 to 150 miles an hour. So it's not, a, it's not like it's nothing. So if you got hit by one of these, you're probably not having a good day that day. Right? So, so it's, but, but still, when you compare that to like this guy, he has all this stuff. Verse 51, Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now what, 
what this is about is, is God's strength being showcased in our weakness. Points to it over and over again. All this outward appearance of weakness, yet, yet God shows forth to be strong. And this is the case over and over again in the entire Bible. And in the case of our individual lives as a believer. So what drove David to this place? What drove David to such a place? He just couldn't take the defiance of the Philistines and Goliath, what they showed towards God. He couldn't take it. And you looking at verses 10, 25, 26, 36, and 45, you'll see this word defy or defied. And in the Hebrew, this means mock, taunt, disdain, reproach, blaspheme, deride, demean. And this word appears six times in our text. And this is what drove David to do what he did. See, see, David's God was being mocked. He was being disdained. And this really ticked David off. He wasn't angry because there was disdain towards him. You notice that? He wasn't self-absorbed. with I'm going to take out my anger on that big guy. Everyone's picking on me. It wasn't the disdain that he felt from Eliab, from Saul, from Goliath. For him, it was the disdain that God had. That people were throwing at God. So so he was angry about that. It It was because there was disdain toward God from Goliath and the Philistines that he was angry. Not towards himself. Verse 52, And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that, he wounded, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharem as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. That sick. Anyway, as soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. It's like his security blanket all of a sudden. And and Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. This chapter is about the reputation and the honor of God, which matters more than any of our own reputations, honors, safety. That's the theme here. That's what's central here. It's not about David's bravery or David's courage or David's skill or anything about David. The emphasis here is not on David. The glory is to be to God, not David. The keynote of this chapter is the honor and the reputation of God. So we have to be careful of this in our teaching and in our applications. To be careful of how we teach and preach in our small groups, in our Bible studies, in our children's ministries. Are we telling people who sit in our Bible studies to be brave like David? I think you're missing the point. Something deeper than that. That we all need to deal with the Goliaths in our lives. I think it's deeper than that. Right? Are we telling the kids and the youth that we minister to that it's, it's dealing with the bullies in your life? I can see the implications. I, I can. But, but let's not lessen the Word of God and put the emphasis on where it should be, on God. It's the Word of God. 
And we need to be careful about what we are teaching people who are sitting under our teaching. And let us honor God and give glory to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and discernment in studying your word. That we would get the nuggets of truth in there that are a little deeper. And not to say that there aren't implications and words of encouragement for people uh, that are going through a particular situation in their life. But how you provide so much more and how the battles are yours and how our outward appearance of weakness that in that is your strength. We ask, Lord, that we would rely on that, not on our own strengths, but your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.